Hi everyone, Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to this month's Learn Something New Wednesday, where we talked about writing powerful stories, even if you think you can't. Now, for those of you who weren't here, be prepared to have your world rock because I tell you what, you missed something awesome. But that's okay because you're going to get all of that in the recording. You're going to get all sorts of valuable nuggets that Richard Fleming from Sage Media dropped on us. I tell you, I've listened to this over and over again, and my world is rocked and yours will be too. So listen closely. And as always, if you have any comments or questions, send those to me because Richard will answer them personally. And while you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. So without further ado, let's get down to it. All right, everyone. Thank you for being here for our third, I believe this is our third or fourth, Learn Something New Wednesday. And with us today, I have Richard Fleming from Sage Media. And today we are talking about writing powerful stories, even if you think you can't. You can. And Richard's going to be here to show us how you can do that. Now, Sage Media helps companies make informational and mindfulness and education programs more interesting and engaging for their companies. Sage Media makes scenario films specifically for complex soft skills training that inform and transform the lives of the learners within organizations. So they do fabulous work. If you have not been to their website, I highly encourage you to do so. And I've always been a fan. So whenever we're at conferences, I secretly or maybe not even not so secretly stock Richard and Austin in whatever it is that they do, because whatever they're talking about and whatever they are doing is always so clever and smart and just so very interesting. So thank you for joining us, Richard. Thank you. That was very sweet of you. I don't mind being stocked. It's okay. The main thing I wanted to mention, at least for, so I have two divisions. Sage Media is the actual consulting and the video production for a custom job. So if you've got like an onboarding training you're working on and you need good videos to insert into that to make it compelling and get people emotionally hooked. That's what we do. We also have an off-the-shelf sister company called Sage Academy. So you got sage.media and sage.academy. I chose storytelling. I'm a filmmaker. And so that's what I do. I do anything media-related or media-heavy with regard to learning. That's what I do. So if you have questions about that, or if you have an internal video production team and you want to know how to upskill them, all that stuff is in my purview. The reason I chose video is because it's such a powerful medium and tied with storytelling. It's a wonderful modality to transfer information. So the biggest barrier that I see in terms of getting employees or learners to take on a new initiative and act differently is that they're not emotionally engaged. So emotions do a couple of things. A lot of times when I mention emotions, people are like, oh, it's like a soft thing. Like they refer to it in this very odd language, but emotions are a critical part of how we make decisions. And they're not something that's soft, like mindful, you know, feel good stuff. It's rooted deeply in our instinct and in how we operate in the world. 95% of our decisions daily are made without our conscious thought. And so you're really trying to engage people emotionally because that's how they make decisions. But also, the stronger an emotion is linked to an experience, the more permanent that memory of it becomes. 
So you can really have a lot of power in terms of, of learning retention by linking it with an emotion. So that's why I chose this. And this is something that everyone can do. Storytelling is at its core, translating information from one presentation form to another. Instead of informational, it becomes emotional. It has its own kind of logic. The challenge I have, or I've seen for learning designers is that they get overwhelmed with possibilities. They don't know what to do. They're like, I start writing it and then I get lost. So, and I'm going to plug this course a lot because that's what I do. We've created a storytelling for a learning designers course at Sage Academy that basically has a seven-step process that you go through. And what it does is for me, this has been really helpful. A couple of years ago, I was working on a screenplay and I got really stuck, like I'd say 40 pages in. So I'm trying to write about 90 pages for the screenplay. 40 pages in, I get drastically stuck. I'm banging my head against the wall. I don't know what else to write, what scenes to write. And this still applies even if you're writing short form content, you can get stuck like this. Fast forward to, I have to go all the way back to the beginning and I start going through this process I've been building for the past you know, 10, 15 years. As I hit one step of that, where I'm designing this character's wants and their needs, So what does this character want out of this? What is the goal? So an example might be in The Karate Kid. He wants to win the tournament. That's the goal of what Daniel wants in that movie. I thought I had defined that, but I didn't define it clear enough. And I ended up getting stuck and it ruined the rest of my screenplay. So I had to go all the way back to the beginning. It cost me so much time. And I kept thinking, there's got to be an easier way to do this. So I refined this process down to these seven steps so that I don't get lost. And I'll tell you, this has cut weeks off of my development time. I can have a story in a couple hours. And even though I've done this a lot, and yes, I'm a seasoned writer, I don't need to be. I've tried this with people who don't know anything about writing, and they can still, within a couple hours, get something finished. Because the foundations are there. We all know what a good story is, to quote Flannery O'Connor, but when we sit down to write one, it becomes very difficult. This process helps you go along that, and I want to cover at least the first step with you because it seems to be the most important and the least talked about. Now, I've taken hundreds of courses on this stuff. I've read hundreds of books on this subject, and I don't see people talking about this. What I'm talking about is what's called a core premise. So think of an Aesop fable, right? Or there's a Turkish fable. I remember the frog and the scorpion. So you have a scorpion that's hanging out by the river and this frog's hopping by and it sees the scorpion and gets freaked out. The scorpion says, hey, can you give me a ride across the river? There's nothing to eat here for me. There's no scorpion food. And I really need to eat something. I know there's some stuff over there. I can see it. And the frog goes, no, man, like you're going to, you could kill me. Like you could sting me and kill me. He's like, yeah, but why would I do that while we're in the river? Then we'll both drown. He's like, well, that's a fair point. So he gets on, the scorpion gets on the frog and the frog starts swimming. And then halfway across the river, scorpion stings him. The frog starts to get poisoned and he starts to lose consciousness. And as he's drowning, he goes, why would you do this? And the scorpion goes, it's my nature. The story has a clear point for us. And it actually can mean different things as we age, as we grow. This is the power of storytelling is that they have these little kernels of truth that act as like a node for us to plug in our own experience as we age. That's this core message, right? Of like instinct trumps reason. That's the the moral of this story. That's what we're talking about here. You have this already built into your learning objective. That's the point of your learning objective, right? As learning designers, you want your audience to know something and to do something. So it reminds me of this time I was, um, my older son, he was a toddler and he was sitting in the back of the car and he's asking me a bunch of questions like he always would. And one of the questions he asked me was like, why is there war? Why do people fight? It's like, oh yeah, I got an easy answer for that. So I'm trying to struggle, you know, and answer these questions. And he goes, I just wish I had a a megaphone 
where I could like call out to the world and say, stop fighting. We all need to get along. And I, as adorable as this is, it actually, it really stuck with me because I started thinking like, I wonder how many people, if they actually had a megaphone, would have a message for the world, would have a clear message for the world. And this is very similar to what we're dealing with as learning designers is if we had a megaphone to speak to our learners, what is the message that we would want them to know? That's the foundational point of what we're doing here. Now, I'm going to back up slightly. Basically, right now, we may have the message, but that's not a story yet. So what I'm going to teach you is how to convert that message into a story. Sound good? Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. So much to think about already off the top. And I think what you're touching on here is something that has struck fear in the hearts of everyone probably on this call right now, which is getting started. It's looking at that blank page and having a feeling of where should I start? What are these first few words? Should I write a story? Should I write an outline? Should I do a storyboard? And then you get so in your head that you just go, okay, I'll deal with this later. Right, right. What I have found is I design courses, teach people how to create video content. And what I find is they look at it, they say it's too daunting. As you say, they don't know where to begin. Mm-hmm. Point is, what story do you want to tell? Right, just don't do anything else. Just write down the story you want to tell and then go from there. Yeah, and the hard part is always, where are you going to start? So before we start, are there any burning questions that we can get to right now for Richard? In your storytelling, Richard, you do conflict, crisis resolution, getting middle end, you know, the standard story format, plot, subplots, that kind of thing, or is it a little different? So we don't necessarily follow like the monomyth or like the hero's journey stuff. Okay. There are a lot of different frameworks you can use. Right. The danger with a lot of the stuff like Save the Cat or Dan Harmon's Story Circle or things like that is that sometimes they can get really like restrictive and constrictive. Mm-hmm. So this process is really more of you may have stories that last 30 seconds that, you know, they're almost jokes. You may have stories that are three minutes. You may have stories that are 40 minutes. So this framework applies to all of those things. And the reason being is because the core of what is missing in a good story is understanding where you are going. What makes Shakespeare so brilliant is that he had absolute command of the structure of his stories. So every line, every scene, every word drives forward a core underlying message. So if we think of Othello, it's about proving that jealousy destroys the object of its affection. That's the moral of his story. And every scene, even the comedic relief, helps to tie that in. And I think that's something that we really miss because we want to get started on the writing process. And it's good to write. That's the the essential. You can get into that analysis paralysis for a long time. But I want to make sure that we're setting the stage and we at least have the direction of where we're going, right? We're going on vacation. we're, We're going to go on a hike. Where are we hiking to? Let's at least know where that's going to be. And then we got to get on the trail. That analogy works for both of those things. Essentially, the story structure that I'm using is a man or a woman does something to get a thing. And that's basically it. Like, it's as simple as that of like, I'm going for this and there's something in the way. And so what am I willing to do for that? 
The first thing I want to step back and address, though, is all of this is rooted in, in learning. We wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have a point. There's a great quote at the top of the worksheet in a book called The Beggar King and the Secret of Happiness. If you haven't read it, it's a phenomenal read. But one of the characters says, every story has a point, a message, a moral. Otherwise, there's no reason to tell it. And this book is full of these crazy, beautiful stories that kind of tickle your brain in a way. But at the end of the day, we have an objective. We got to teach people something. And this is a really great way to make it engaging. So when you think about what is the learning objective, I want you to use the ABCD method for learning objectives. So we actually include that in the course. I'll show you a little bit of it here if you can see it. You have the audience, the behavior, the conditions, and the degree of which you need them to know this. So if you're familiar with this process, let's go through it. I would like you guys to break out into little rooms and you can agree to a learning objective. It doesn't have to be anything very advanced, right? Just let's get to something simple and make sure that you fill out that A, B, C, D. Who is the audience? What is the behavior that you want to affect? What are the conditions under which that they'll be learning this? Or what are constraints that will interfere with their learning it? Like what are their, their objections? And then the degree to which you want them to know this. So we don't need this to be very advanced. It could be something like all forklift drivers must have a license. They must be qualified, certified, whatever. Or all people must wear PPE gear while in the on the plant floor. Or it could be something else like all sales teams need to spend five minutes shooting the breeze with prospects or something like that, right? <laughs> to build rapport. So those are the kinds of things that I think we need to be talking about. But let's break out into rooms. And then these are the rooms that you guys will stay with when you actually go and design your moral of the story. Okay, so you're looking for them to write a learning objective on any topic because we're going to turn that topic, whatever it may be, into the first part of the story writing process. That's exactly it. And this is just an exercise. So don't get too like, oh, it needs to be my learning objective. Let's just find something we can all agree on and then build it up. So if you're in a group, you can actually delegate to say, hey, why don't you pick the audience? You pick the behavior, you pick the conditions, you pick the degree. Cool beans. Okay. So we are going to do that. And everybody understand the task? Give me like a thumbs up. Let me know we're all good. Off you go. All right. I'll see you guys soon. Wearing a seatbelt. All right. I mean, Jack, this was a, actually a test to see if we were actually instructional designers because <laughs> you need to be able to create a learning objective in five minutes that's measurable, that defines, you know, who it is. To... <laughs> <laughs> you figured me out, Kelly. It was yeah. a secret test. Yes. <laughs> Logging into corporate computers as a new hire. Yes, it was a secret test to see whether or not I need to do a learn something new for writing learning objectives. Exactly. <laughs> Market research right here. That's right. <laughs> I just gave a little uh, hint of what our whole thing was. So. Okay. <laughs> Field techs and construction need to wear their gloves when they're working. Excellent. These are all good things and I can see a path on some of these. Okay, so Richard, what are our next steps? Okay, so this is where we jump into, we wanted to define a very clear learning objective that had all this stuff in mind. Because as you're thinking about things like your audience, 
that's the learner that needs to change the behavior. There is something that they are objecting to. There's something that if you mentioned it as saying, I think that you guys are just overwhelmed or that you're, you know, maybe have a bit of pride or whatever. They'd be like, yeah, you know, I am proud. And then they would kind of like subconsciously resonate with that. That's what you're identifying. That's why you want to know these four dimensions. The ABCD is not just for the learning objective. It's also for you to get a sense of who your audience is and what is going to resonate as an intrinsic motivator. Because that's another benefit of storytelling is it drives intrinsic motivation. People are more likely to adopt a behavior once they hear the story about it. It's taking the proverbial horse to water and then dunking its head in the river and making it drink. So that's what we're doing here is basically getting people kind of like familiar with what resonates with them. And then they're drawn to that. It's less propaganda and mind control and more like, hey, this is attractive to you. This resonates with you. This speaks your language. So the main thing I want to break down is if you're looking at the core premise worksheet, if you pull that up, you'll notice that there are three basic dimensions. There is a character, a conflict, and a conclusion, a moral trait, a conflict with that moral trait that results in a conclusion. So I mentioned Othello earlier as the dramatic premise or the core premise of jealousy destroys the object of its affection. So Othello is essentially the epitome of jealousy. He is the physical representation or manifestation of jealousy. So when we're thinking about the first aspect of this, what is the moral trait? We're thinking about virtues and vices about those characters. That's all rooted in the A part of your audience, right? So I'm just planting that seed. Now we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Step one, as I lay this out in the course, all you need to do to create your story is first ask yourself, how does it end? You want to start with the end in mind. A lot of novice writers will try to create characters and build these like really elaborate scenarios, but then they don't really know how it ends. So if you think of like a a whodunit, I know who the killer I want to be. If I pick the killer up front, it's going to be much easier for me to hide who that person is as I build the story out. Similarly, all you got to do is pick, do I want a happy ending or do I want a sad ending for my story? So what we're talking about here is, does the character learn the lesson you want them to learn and then grow and succeed and live on flourish? Or do they fail to change their behavior, not listen to your advice and then pay the price for it? That's it. Happier, sad ending. Pick that. And it's arbitrary, right? One rule of thumb I'll tell people is if you want there to be an aspirational or inspirational element to it, you want to reward people for what they're already doing and in a happy way. But if you want real learning or heightened learning where people are being more critical, then you want a negative ending because people are much more likely to be judgmental for something that they see negatively happen. So we watch a relationship unfold that's a total train wreck and we go, ah, well, I know better than that, even if it's exactly the way your last relationship played out. We're very, very critical of people. That's why gossip is so prominent. So pick a happier, sad ending. And again, it really doesn't matter as long as you know that like at the other end of it, the next step is to say, well, do we want this character to change? Typically you do. So you're going to pick the opposite end of what that outcome is. So step one, happier, sad ending. If it's a happy ending, then it usually starts out with a character's not doing so well. And they're not doing so well because of something that they are continuing to act like or do. Things aren't good. They're not getting the promotion that they want. They lost a couple of digits because they're not observing safety rules. You know, how many more do they have left? But then it results in them being happy at the end. And conversely, if you want there to be a sad ending or a bad ending, typically the character starts out where the things that they're doing that are not desirable have been working for them for a long time. And now they're finally 
hitting some obstacles. And so we're seeing that change. That change is really, really important for us because that's the dynamic that draws us in. We want to see how characters are affected. What's going to happen? What are they going to choose to do differently? That ambiguity opens up curiosity, which keeps us engaged emotionally. So are you saying then, when we consider keeping the end in mind, that we're, we're thinking about what the conclusion is of our story. So yep. we're thinking about what the conclusion is or where we want the journey to end. Are we also thinking about what emotions we're hoping that people are going to get out of the story? So at the end of the story, people should feel happy and this is what's going to be happening. So really the first step is to figure out really what is going to happen if your learner doesn't do the thing you want them to do. What's the worst possible outcome? Okay. So if we think about the group that had the wearing a seatbelt, so the worst possible outcome is that they get ejected from a car and they die. Yes. Or somebody that they love, there are a number of possibilities. Like you can tap into what would resonate with them. Like I didn't buckle my my child in the seat well enough and then they died. It's like, that's horrific. Or they themselves die. Like you can pick that, but that's worst case scenario. And then you dial back on what you think would be enough for them to be compelling, not to traumatize them, but also that would resonate with them. Because for example, you know, the field techs needing to wear gloves, what's the worst thing that can happen to them if they don't wear gloves? They could lose a finger. Lose a finger. Okay. And then what happens? happens if they lose the finger? Like what would resonate with this group if they're like, now I lost a finger? I mean, that's bad enough, but like- Now they can't work. Now they can't work. Right. Basically that's the end is like, if you want to tell the sad story, the person loses the finger. If you want to tell the happy story, they narrowly miss it because they observe what you did. They put the glove on and it saved their life. Because the learning objective is that elixir in terms of like what changes the game, right? So King Arthur pulls the sword from the stone, but the field tech puts the glove on. We're equating- Ah, I get it. So that's really interesting, isn't it, people? If if we think about what emotion we're trying to drive at the end of the day, then that definitely sets the path for the story, just like you said. So we could go happy ending, rainbows, butterflies, and we avoid the accident. We have our seatbelts on. Everybody's good to go. Or in the glove example, happy ending, oh, I nearly narrowly missed that. And now I can eat my pizza with all five <laughs> of my fingers. So I'm good. So yeah, that's, that's interesting because I hadn't thought about putting that emotional tie-in as part of where do I expect the journey to end up? I think that's very helpful. Yeah. I just want to preface by saying a lot of this stuff when we're first doing this, this design work is going to sound really hokey and like preachy. That's okay. We need to get it to a preachy statement so that we can then dress it up so that hides the preachiness. But typically what happens is that as people are doing this design process, they start getting a little bit like uncomfortable or embarrassed for being like, oh, my learners are going to hate that if I say like wearing gloves leads to, you know, eating pizza or whatever, but it's not a bad idea once you hide it so that the moral isn't overt, your learners will never see this. They will never see what the underlying core premise is. And you don't want them to because People hate stories like that. That's like the fake woke or like, you know, you're preaching to me or all these things that we don't like stories that are too overt. That's why good storytelling is about hiding that stuff. Yeah. Stop telling me what to do. Right. Yeah. Don't tell me what to do. Exactly. Yeah. We're not going to, we're going to slide it in there, but we want to draw that conclusion so that logically we're at least it's making sense. A lot of times what I'll see is that people will have more than one premise that they're trying to prove in the same story 
And you can't do that. It actually really confuses people. You can really only have one premise per story or they don't have a premise and it leads to some kind of illogical conclusion that leaves learners going, I'm not really sure what that was about. And they're not going to tell you, well, hey, this was not sensible or logical. They're just going to go, oh, that was weird. And then they leave. And there are lots of stories like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the next step, once we've figured our happy or sad ending, is to find out what about this character is preventing them from achieving what it is that they want. So for example, the field tech that won't wear the gloves, what is the vice that that person has that's preventing them from putting on the gloves? Is it laziness? Is it arrogance? Is it they're rushed? What's the condition that you'd want? Complacency. Complacency is great. Rushing. Yeah. Those are exactly the two things that we see as the biggest issues. Okay. So you got to pick one. Complacency is my big one. Great. What would you choose for your ending? What did you think a good conclusion would be for that? It's going to be a negative one and there you are going to basically lose a finger. Yeah. So complacency leads to harm. That is your core premise. Boom. I read that part down to the core premise and that's exactly what I came to. Great. Complacency leads to harm. That's it. It's that simple. It's really that simple. Like we overcomplicate this stuff. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, just a quick question. Do you have an example in your memory bank of a time that complacency led to harm? Do you have a story that you could tell? It's way back here. We had an event last year. We kind of told this story, but it was very poorly told. Okay. We could go back and retell that when we do this lesson again. Yeah. Yeah, And you now know what it's driving toward. So if you're halfway through and you're like, Jared came in, he had done this before in another company. He was like, it's fine. But Jared also had this like weird thing where he would eat other people's sandwiches in the break room. We never figured out what that was about. And like ends up taking this like random tangent. You're like, no, no, get back to the part where he loses fingers. But Jared, in this context, the reason that he is, he suffers this is because he refuses to not be complacent anymore. Even when all the evidence says, hey, you got to act differently. So that's basically the premise. That's how you start the story. This is the most difficult part for people because they one, overcomplicate it, and two, they think that it's too simple to start with. This is it. This is your guiding light for where you drive forward. Jerry can no longer eat finger foods. (laughs) (laughs) That's the punishment. And see, it's retribution for taking people's sandwiches. It's divine intervention right there. Let's go back to the other ones that we had. I want to get those. So we had the field text. There was a new hire on a computer. Oh yeah. Logging into corporate computers as a new hire. So let's talk about that because explain me what that means and what's the worst case scenario if they come in and they log into a corporate computer. Our whole learning objective was every new employee needs to log into the corporate system within 24 hours of their start date or receiving credentials from IT. Okay. So that was the whole learning objective. What is the core message there? Like what happens if they don't? They're not truly part of the company until they're logged in. So you snooze, you lose. Yeah. Okay. You can think of it in these weird aphorisms. This is a good way to think of how to start using your core premise or how to start talking about it. So if you snooze, you lose, what is the worst case scenario for them not being an employee is what? What happens if they don't do this 24-hour login? They could be terminated. They could be terminated. Okay. The end goal could be, I don't have a job. So what is the barrier currently that your learner has to signing in. They didn't get the email. It went to the wrong account. They don't have access to that email account anymore. Oh my gosh, I've heard it all. (laughs) 
what's the core underlying vice? Like, what are they actually BSing you about? Like, what does it really mean? Like, what are they just not doing? Well, we could do the complacency one. There are some people that because we're remote work now, they just don't get around to it. (laughs) Yeah. So this is important and this is really key for you to do the deep dive. And so often when I have a new client, we have like a guided clarity session and we'll actually go through this. It's a day long process and I will interview stakeholders and the target learner to be like, what's going on? And then I have to read between the lines to be like, why aren't they actually doing the thing I want them to do? But once I figure that out, that's basically what the moral trait is. I can define that. So maybe this complacency is the number one reason, but maybe it's also like lack of attention to detail. Over or underconfidence, either or. Yeah. So I love that. Scary, but initial sign for lack of accountability. So lack of accountability, that's that's a good one too. Now you pick the starting point, which is someone who is not accountable and who, who avoids accountability, it will lead to them missing out. It'll lead to them like losing their job or losing the reward. Not getting paid not getting paid. A lack of accountability leads to poverty. You have these like this connection here and you're trying to shorten the connection as fast as possible because then you can easily design it and say, okay, I know where I'm going. This is not overwhelming anymore. Now I know what the messages I want to convey. And I can start even thinking of stories that currently exist. And that's all I want to cover in terms of like the scope of this webinar, because the next step in our storytelling course is actually to write this out custom. So if you want to like have a unique story, then you go to the rest of the stages. But this alone gets you to start collecting stories that relate to that. That's wonderful because now you can pick any learning objective and say, you know, hey, do you have a story where like someone didn't wear gloves and it led to them losing fingers or a story where somebody like got terminated because they didn't log in on time? You know, people in your team are going to be like, oh yeah, God, like last week this happened. I mean, Jason, you said that you've got some stories in the back of your mind and like from way back, but it's there. I want to perfect this for everyone so that we all understand intimately what a core premise is. The last thing I'll say is that I'm using the lack of accountability leads to poverty. In order for that to be a happy ending, that character has got to overcome their lack of accountability. They have to embrace accountability and you can show that and then you have your happy ending. So you have two options, right? So picking the worst case scenario doesn't necessitate that you have to go with the worst case scenario. It just means that you now know what's at stake, which is the next step in terms of picking out what that character really wants and what that character really needs. The last one here, which is the all faculty shall introduce themselves to students to create a welcoming classroom environment. We want to have a very clear definition of what it means to have a welcoming classroom. How do we know it's achieved welcomingness? It's the only thing I would adjust on this, but this is a great learning objective, which is the faculty are going to introduce themselves to students. And we talked a little bit about this, but this reminds me of the, when the student is ready, the master shall appear. And again, because we know that the audience is faculty, we're tapping into their internal motivation, their intrinsic motivation of, I want to be a leader. I want to be a guide to my students. So if you want to be the true master, you got to show up and present yourself. What is a barrier to them not introducing themselves? Is it arrogance? Is it anxiety? Like social anxiety? What's the thing that's keeping them from currently doing what you want them to do? I think it could be either the anxiety or the superiority. Okay. Oh, that's a good one. So let's pick one of those that you think resonates the most with somebody being like, okay. Anxiety. Anxiety. What's the worst case scenario if a teacher lets their anxiety prevent them from introducing themselves to a student? They feel like a fraud. Like they shouldn't even be there in the room. 
what happens to the student? In some ways, it makes me think of like they lose direction. They have no direction. You have them wandering off the cliff. Mm -hmm. It's true. I really do look old when I record myself giving the introduction. You got to use front lights. It it (laughs) solves everything. Don't worry about it. This is a great example. And I love that we're doing this because there are a lot of things going on here. And these are aspects that might be a barrier, but we got to pick one. So for example, if I'm creating a short film about a student who basically is new to the university, maybe they have, there's a lot of generational poverty going on. They're the first of their family to go to school. They're overwhelmed. They've got all this pressure going on. And then they go to the school and they're just like lost. And the teacher's not like there for them. They don't know where to go. They're like constantly going in the wrong classroom. They get frustrated. And then eventually they just give up and leave. They drop out. Like that'd be pretty awful as a story. Mm -hmm. Because now the teacher's like, oh God, like what would have been the difference? And so the difference would have been the teacher coming in, introducing and being the guide. And so now you can start addressing like what the core motivations are. This is different from the formula we're doing, but I want to take this diversion because This says something about as you start writing this process and refining what the true message is, you start to find that maybe, maybe I don't know the exact thing I want to say, and I got to keep workshopping it until it gets to this point. So Jason, yours was like super simple, right out the cannon. The breakout number four had a really easy solution. This one's harder. Those specifics need to be put in. Is that clear? Like in terms of now you can even use a different story to still show how like if the teacher doesn't do this thing, this other thing will result. You know, it sounds vague out loud, but really that's what you're doing. You're saying like, hey, there's a consequence for you behaving this way or for you not doing the thing that you need to be doing. And that's all the story is doing is it's supporting and proving what that outcome is going to be. As an example, I would actually change this to be your personal overwhelm or anxiety is nothing compared to that of the students. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. Like you are the teacher. You got to take control. Yeah, that's great. I like that, too. All right. Since I know we got not much time left, I want to open this up a bit more. And you may not feel like you've got this. I'll tell you in three days, you're going to come back to this and be like, oh, I get it. But I think you get it now. Like it's not that complicated. The only complicated piece is down the line when you're doing like the revisions or organizing that stuff. And like I said, we've got resources for that. I just want you to understand this is because this is foundational and even major Hollywood like filmmakers don't get this. They miss this. I see it all the time in movies. Right, right. So what are the different components of the worksheet that we've covered? So take us through that. You've done the conclusion. You picked a happy or sad ending, right? So in Jason's example, we we have harm. The worst thing that can happen to you is harm. We're not wearing the seatbelt. Worst thing that can happen to you is death. The moral trait, the virtues or vices, and I say virtues because I want people to start thinking about them as human characteristics or human qualities. So laziness, fastidiousness, jealousy, these are things that like, human beings display their human emotion. It's not an external condition. It's an internal belief system or bias or blind spot. So that's where the, like the accountability example would be. So this person does not have a sense of accountability. Yep. That's the moral trait, lack of accountability. Okay. And the thing is, I'll say that like, sometimes what I'll have to do is I'll have to go to a thesaurus and I'll have to look for things to find the perfect word. I would invite you to do that when you're doing this exercise offline. So you go through and you find the exact word. So Jason has said, well, there's these two different elements, but complacency really is the one that we're talking about. And so lack of accountability, there may be a better word for that, but it's fine for now. Okay. And then basically once you have that, your core premise is just simply that moral trait, that vice 
leading to an outcome. You're connecting a logical conclusion, a syllogism. So you've got like the lack of accountability leads to loss or leads to poverty or leads to, you know, whatever the outcome is going to be. And you just write that just as that. The vice leads to an outcome. The moral trait leads to a conclusion. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You can fill those in, but that's the activity in a nutshell. Gotcha. I know it seems like there should be more. There's not more. (laughs) That's the the thing. (laughs) Do we have to say the core premise or the conclusion out loud in the story? No. Or if we tell the story well enough, they get it. So now that you have it, that's your framework to map out the rest of the story. So you're trying to say, well, what would prove that? What would support that? And for right now, all we're doing is saying, we're going to collect some stories that do that. So if I think of a time where a lack of accountability led to a poor outcome for me, you know, maybe there's an analogy I could use of like, oh, one time when I was dating somebody, I didn't own up to a mistake I made and they left me. That proves lack of accountability leads to a negative outcome, leads to like my own kind of poverty, my social poverty. So it doesn't even have to be exact. And that's the beauty of these stories is that they don't have to be the exact scenario of like, oh, there was one time a student didn't log in and then they lost their job, you know, or like a new hire didn't log in, they lost their job. You can do that and that's fine, but you can also not do that. And it totally works because it reminds people of like, oh yeah, there's a drastic outcome. And in some cases you have a lot more power in using the analogy than you would if you used it straight up, specifically with like industrial jobs, because people get fixated on details. Like if you have a truck driver and it's like, oh, that guy didn't double clutch, you know, whatever for the shift. And it's like, why are you paying attention to that? Because they fixate on that stuff. So if you make it an analogy, it can sometimes be more powerful. Yeah, there are um, a couple of questions in the chat. Many years ago, I went to a workshop around designing training. Seven minute learning segments was recommended. Do you think once the time frame has been established for a course that there is a time factor for retention? So Kathy, are you saying that different learning points need to take certain amounts of time? I guess I'm saying that when does, does the learner lose interest? Is there a point in time, that, you know, put an example in, do an activity, that kind of a thing? So there is a lot of research in terms of adult attention spans. It's pretty short. So what they recommend if you're giving a presentation is something called a pattern interrupt. And this is where you change direction or you do something different. It's why people like, you know, stand up and, you know, move around, blah, blah. It's a pattern interrupt and it changes their physical like state. It resets that clock for when they lose attention again. The beauty of story is that you can design pattern interrupts in the story. So I did a 40 minute long film for a food safety training for busy, busy C-suite executives, 40 minutes. And this is one of these things where like in each of the scenes, it breaks it up and people are like, oh, and it pattern interrupts. And these people were glued to this program. And so part of the reason being is because you you have these little diversions and you have these obstacles that come in. So I'm getting in my car, I'm putting my seatbelt on, I'm checking the mirror, I'm doing all this stuff. I, I back out of the car and then bang, I hit something. The bang, I hit something. The obstacle is literally a, oh my, well, what's hap- going to happen next? What did you hit? That's the pattern interrupt. And so as you're telling your story, you're naturally creating these obstacles for your character. It's actually going to create that reset of attention span every single time. Right, right. No, that's really interesting that you say it like that. So it's not a matter of saying stand up, move. It could be more of a brain shift. It is, exactly. So the whole attention span thing is like seven minutes, four minutes. It's like, well, I call BS on that because we all sat through the Avengers movies 
We both we sat through Infinity War and Endgame combined seven hours. Yeah. <laughs> right. We sat through that. I watched a seven and a half hour long movie that only allowed two 20 minute breaks. And it was one of the most engaging things I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. Right. So yeah. I think that that's a great mention where you mentioned the bang. It's like, oh, I can see that in my head. So now I'm jarred back into wherever it was I, I was. Yes. And so the biggest thing I'll mention with stories is to use action and images. Don't talk about thinking or thoughts. What happens? What do you see? Visualize it for me. Pretend I'm not there. Explain it. Right. But don't have characters being like, oh, it's about a guy who thought this and he felt this way. It's like, nah, we don't want that. Action and images. Okay. One last question here. What are the two things that cause characters from doing the thing? For example, complacency or rushing. Some employees are complacent, some rush. Do you write two different scenarios? So I don't want to give like a categorical answer. I think it depends. I would say that the thing that's preventing the character from doing the thing is that vice that you identify up front, the moral trait. It's the reason that they are the way they are. Othello kills Desdemona because he is a jealous person. If he were not jealous, she would not have died. So you're basically saying like he does it because it comes from within. It comes from their own character. I can tie this into the above question, which was used in a branching scenario. You could use it in that context where you have a, a character well, like, here's what happens if you rush. Here's what happens if you, you are complacent. And then these, these things can go out. You're not driving two different outcomes. It's one outcome, but you might have multiple characters that all have their own perspective. So an example I'll give is like, so I do this training film and I have all these rich characters. Each of those characters could have their own breakout film. So imagine Breaking Bad versus Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul is a bit player in Breaking Bad, but he has so much richness, you can actually go out and tell his story. And so maybe that's something you would do in a branching scenario where you have complacency as the main character, but there's also another character who's also striving for the same thing and they're rushing. And so now you've got these two conflicting characters protagonist and antagonist. There are a lot of different ways to cut this up. I guess I would just tell you, like, keep it simple. And you don't necessarily have to show a different scenario of, say, like, good manager, bad manager. Here's what the bad manager does. And they rewind it. And they go, here's what the good manager does. You don't need to model that behavior. It's already evident in the action that this is not something desirable. You don't need to show them the right way. That's interesting. And if you do need to show them the right way, then make it an aspirational piece where they do that. Like, don't try to do both things. It's overwhelming and it's going to make your life hell. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. We are at the top of our time. And I would like to mention, once again, if you go over to Sage Media, they do have a full workshop for what Richard generously gave us over this hour. So if you are interested in that, you would go to your website, Richard. Is that accurate? It's our sister company, the sage.academy slash story. Okay. But yeah, and then let me know. We have a cohort version, which is guided with us, but we also have a, a synchronous or asynchronous version as well if you you know want to do it on your own. Great. Well, thank you for that. Lots of love in, in the chat. So thank you for your time today, Richard. I really appreciate it. And I've, I've learned so much in this 60 minutes. It was a lot to process. I have a blast talking about this stuff. I love it. So like, hopefully this was valuable to all of you. and. I think this is a really powerful tool and it's something that you can easily do. It's well within your grasp. It's just, I recognize the overwhelm and, you know, I'm here to support you guys. Thanks for making it simple. 
Yes, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Super helpful. Very helpful. We were in our goal meeting session. We talked about writing more and this is definitely going to help me do that too. So thank you very much, everybody, for taking some time to be here with us today. I really appreciate it. Our next Learn Something New I'm trying to set something up in regards to augmented reality and virtual reality, which I think will be really interesting. So uh, watch this space. So uh, once again, thank you, Richard, for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Likewise. All right, I'll chat with you all soon. Thank you everyone for hanging with us during another Learn Something New Wednesday, writing powerful stories for learning, even if you think you can't. This was with our featured guest, Richard Fleming from Sage Media. Well, Richard proved to us that we can all write effective stories and we don't have to be George Lucas to do so. The big takeaway for me was not only beginning with the end in mind, which we all intuitively know, but beginning with the end emotion in mind. How do we want people to feel? Do we want them to feel excited or sad or frustrated or enthusiastic or relieved? All of this was such great information and it really has me thinking differently about how I approach writing courses and programs. And all of the resources and links that were discussed are all in the show notes below. Now, while you're there, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future coffee chats because that would suck. So our next coffee chat is scheduled for January 21st with the big question being, how can L&D help managers to better support learning? Let's face it, managers are the first line of defense as to whether or not you have a successful program or whether your program heads into, you know, the training graveyard. And I'm sure everyone will have thoughts and opinions about how we can do this better. And to learn how, you can join our Coffee Chat Live. Head over to learningrebels.com to sign up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.